All right, welcome back to the Reframe Your Artistry interviews, where we get to know creatives who are thinking big picture while producing beautiful things right here, right now. Today, we are so lucky to be sitting down speaking with Suzanne Ray Palaez, more exactly known in the fashion world as Suzanne Ray. And to me, her designs are complex and whimsical traits I also would use to describe her personality. And it's been an honor to befriend and occasionally collaborate with Suzanne since our shared years at Bryn Mawr College, one of the few remaining women's colleges in the United States. <laughs> Since Bryn Mawr, and I might add her quite impressive career as a ballet and modern dancer at Bryn Mawr, where we happened to meet in the Pembroke studios. Uh, since Bryn Mawr, like the brightest of women's college ilk, Suzanne has exploded into her own. And it's really exciting to have you here with us to talk with us today. Suzanne, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. My honor. So a few more highlights about your evolution as a, as a fashion designer and so many other things, entrepreneur. A few more things I'd like to highlight about your career and then I will try to zip a lip as much as possible here. Because people want to hear from you, not me. <laughs> um, right after college, you headed, if I'm correct, into the art world by working for Sotheby's. Is that um, well, I actually went uh, to work for Holly Solomon Gallery. Holly Solomon. Um, yes, who was a great um, New York gallerist, one of the first women New York gallerists. Mm -hmm. So continuing that uh, wonderful... Uh, female um, role model. Hmm. Imagined planted some seeds of, of inspiration for you there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, lovely. And then um, off to Parsons you went. Um, That's right, yes. Parsons School for Design and culminating in 2010, your, your early evolution. In 2010, you established Suzanne Ray, a ready to wear line. That's right, yes. Which uh, my spouse and I regularly follow on social media. <laughs> He's been <laughs> caught wearing some Suzanne Ray. Uh, your line has been worn by and continues to be worn by the likes of Marissa Tomei, Saturday Night Live leads, Selena Gomez, who looks beautiful in that uh, like ballet blue. <laughs> no big deal, no big deal. <laughs> And in June 2019, New York Magazine had described your, your line as a quirky classic style and a favorite among fashion people in the past year. So here you are, here you situate. I imagine not often enough you soak in the, the fruit of your labor. So um, Suzanne, you're... You're an incredible inspiration to all of us fellow women's collegers. Oh. And we are cheering you on more than you realize. No, oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, 
Today, I really am curious to open up to the Reframe Your Artistry world. Um, and, and that kind of world being creatives who at times get stuck in their understanding of how they're supposed to pr produce art, how they had been producing art, and, and just feeling like, where do I go now? As if they hit a dead end, a deadening of the self as well. <laughs> that relinquishes with the form of art form they've been doing. So really curious to get an intimate lens on your creative evolution because it's been quite uh, ripe with, with new beginnings. And um, so could we just start there? Would you be willing to tell us a little bit about how you went from very talented dancer into sort of this new artistic genre and an entrepreneurial world of fashion design and, and how you handled those amateur years in, in that realm. Yeah. Well, you know, having been, having danced um, and been creative for so long, when I went to work in the um, art gallery world, um, I, found that I really missed being part of the creative, you know, working on the creative side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, at Bryn Mawr, having studied, you know, some art history, you know, I really wanted, I, I thought I really wanted to go there. Um, but I, I did miss a lot of the creative processes. Because, um, you know, working in an art gallery is just like, you know, it's like a business, mm -hmm. actually. Um, and so I wanted to be the artist myself. So I eventually, after various um, paths, ended up, you know, deciding to go back to school. And, um, you know, I had never sewn or done any fashion, anything really, aside from just, you know, being a, an aficionado, if you will, um, or a magazine reader, rather. <laughs> Always had good taste, Suzanne. <laughs> that in my um, mind space, I do recall you've always had good taste. I wonder if you can take me to that seed moment where, because as I, I have implied several times here, you were a very accomplished dancer, and I want your daughters to know that. <laughs> it's a real thing. Uh, you could have done just about anything in the dance world. How did you decide when you had that itch to be creative and get back in and dig into the creative process, which is, I think you imply birthed in the dance studios a bit. How did, did you ever consider doing it in the dance world or, or choreography? How did you decide on fashion? I think um, it would have been very difficult for me at, oh gosh, at the time I felt like my dance career had, had already passed um, that it, I was, it sounds so crazy that I think about it now, but I think at 21, graduating at 21, considering going into dance specifically, probably what I would, you know, what my real love was classical ballet. I think I, you know, felt it was just, it, my opportunity had passed. Hmm. So going it into dance, I think was, a, would have, at the time felt almost painful and not the career I had 
envisioned and really wanted, you know, several years before. Yeah, yeah. So you felt you really envisioned the development as a dancer to stay more as dancer rather than dance maker. And I actually never found myself to be very good at choreography, although I don't think I really explored it um, far enough, but I, 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 I felt that my particular like talent or special, you know, um, special gift or whatever, I, I, I found the creative really in the uh, performance aspect. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, all the rigorous training and technique is something that we, you know, learn to embrace and love, um, yeah. you know, but I think that I was, um, you know, always more of a performer rather than a choreographer or anything. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I think you've referenced your, your fashion line as performance arts. So <laughs> yeah. where, where and when did that idea come from? Because I, I think, you know, Bryn Mawr, your, your ballet world became really broadened into liberal ways of dancing. And how did you arrive at performance art and link that with fashion? So I, um, you know, talking about fashion intellectually um, was, you know, or and having those conversation, uh, conversations or exercises sort of, you know, I, I, or within those conversations and exercises, I came to realize that, you know, I've, I've always, I'm always searching for the importance of fashion and trying to relay it or convince people of it. Um, and, you know, it's as basic as everybody in the morning when you get dressed makes a decision, makes a choice. It's their choice to put on, you know, this polo or this t-shirt because that is what they feel represent, makes, you know, makes them feel like themselves or makes them feel good or makes them feel how they want to feel. And then it's, you know, they put it on and then perform thereafter, if that makes sense. It does. And Suzanne, if I may be so bold and blunt, (laughs) it almost feels like you're choreographing. (laughs) Yes, it is. Providing an opportunity for people to be in some sort of performative energy that embodies your wonderful ideals and values. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you want people to feel when they put on your... Well, I think, you know, I think that someone who is probably buying Suzanne Ray knows a lot about our values, you know, about our feminist um, fundamentals and um, our foundation and... um, our mission, which really is to just, you know, continue that dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I want people to feel informed, Mm. Um, you know, when they put on a Suzanne Ray piece, I want them to feel um, aware 
um, you know, of certain social and economical and economic um, issues. Um, because all of those things um, play a role in, in the garment itself, you know, from where the fabric was sourced to who made it, how it gets there, the intention of it, the style of it, the references of the style. Um, you know, it's, it's a visual language. It's a visual language. It's, it's more than just choreography. It's really, it's a, it's a history lesson as well. What a, yeah, for sure. Dynamic experience. And um, could you tell me a little bit about the roots of that commitment for you personally? For instance, you know, I have certain elements of my own background that led me and drew me to a women's college and social justice angles on my artistry. Tell me a little bit about the roots of your commitment to what you're trying to convey to your audience or people who, who wear your brand, where that emerged and how it was cultivated? Well, fashion has always been um, notorious for waste and for also being superficial. So I think those were two things that I wanted to address and challenge. And so I didn't want fashion to be superficial and I didn't want to just be making more clothes and adding to these landfills. Um, you know, especially with the, with the dawn of fast fashion where people are just, you know, easily, easy come, easy go. You know, it doesn't cost a lot to get this piece and then, um, you know, they're not as attached to it or feel the need to save it or hand it down to, um, you know, their, their child or, or whatever. Um, you know, it's just very easy to just throw it in the trash. You know, people, a button falls off and instead of sewing it back on, people just, you know, toss it, toss that shirt. So I wanted to, um, you know, to just do something that had meaning when it came to fashion. Because I, you know, I didn't grow up with, and I don't think like most people in our generation, you know, thought of fashion as a career or, or certainly not like an, intel like an intellectual or like, um, how do you say, like, um, like a good thing to become when you, you know, get older. Like when you grow up, you know, I think our generation, people are always like, you should be a doctor, a lawyer, a, you know, at least that's, a, or, you know, something where they, there was a understood value that society put on that career. Um, but being, you know, having, just being drawn to fashion, I wanted to, you know, find the value in it. And, and, and show it and prove it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and digging a little deeper with those roots, I recall several dear friends and you know myself included, you know, as a, as a Jewish American, yourself, if I may say, you're, you identify as a Filipino American, would you say? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, do you think that there was added familial 
I think that there's similar parallels of what a good kid, a good daughter might become if sent off for this great education. Um, did you feel those pressures? And I wonder how you presented it to your parents if you did feel those pressures. Like, I'm going to stay in the creative world. <laughs> Absolutely, I did. Yes. Um, you know, even when it came to dance, you know, I wanted to become a ballet dancer and becoming a, a serious ballet dancer meant at the age of 14, you know, giving up a regular um, childhood, mm -hmm. you know, giving up a regular uh, education, a regular school, you know. Um, and that wasn't something that really was an option for me, um, you know, and then, after high school, it was like, do you go to college? Absolutely, like, yes, why would you not go to college? You know, and I sort of resented my parents for that for a long time, but you know, fortunately I ended up going to Bryn Mawr where I learned so much more about myself and, and, and um, learned different value systems. Mm -hmm. um, learned, um, you know, the value of like the female sphere versus the masculine sphere, you know, there is value and um, in, 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 in things aside from science and math, you know, which, you know, my parents always thought that like science and math were like the most important subjects and they are, you know, and I, and I gen genuinely, enjoy those subjects, but I also really enjoy um, the marginalized <laughs> subjects of art and dance. Right, right. Yeah. Here at Mar, we just find a way to radically connect everything. Right? I remember, you may recall, I majored in math and dance. The math was to appease my parents, but I always knew, you know, my pursuit was in the creative realm, right? Yes. To justify that wonderful education we were given. But, um, well, speaking of the Bryn Mawr days and broadening your, your horizons and thinking, how about thinking about yourself, if I may get a bit more personal for a moment. It was my subjective experience that I considered you to be among the loveliest, most charismatic <laughs> my classmates. <laughs> Um, that, that good taste following you through your years of development. But I also recall some of your dating experiences. <laughs> and I think about how you presented yourself then, how you present your line at times now. Um, really walking that, that precarious tightrope of challenging some ways that I wonder if you as a woman pull from that objectified narrow scope of how women models fashion should look on a woman who deserves to wear quality fashion and how you're really trying to transcend that a little bit um, and how difficult that is because I, I really love for instance like on your website right now when you go to your website, the initial image is a woman probably in her 70s, perhaps, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. looking um, so elegant and living her best life. <laughs> and, and that's one of your first images. So yeah, could you speak to a little bit about 
that tightrope experience and how you're trying to transcend that a little bit with your brand? Yeah, I mean, it's funny when, when you were talking about certain things, I, I remember at one point, I, the inspiration for one of my collections, um, I wrote this poem and one of the lines in it was, I'm not your seductress. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was really just because I was feeling like that, you know, and um, it's hard to say, you know, that we, you know, we want to dress for ourselves, but because fashion is a language and, you know, it, it is performative, we are also dressing for an audience, but we are, you know, dressing for ourselves in, you know, in the way that we want to create our own persona, our own presentation mm -hmm. and, and, and feel a certain way um, in the world and, and in an audience. So I guess, you know, that that's just something that I'm constantly thinking about. And, and it is, you know, a challenge um, sometimes like a mini skirt can be perceived as one way or another, just like the bustier used to be a very confining and constricting garment and then became a symbol of female empowerment. Right. Right. You know, so with the clothes, you know, there, it's always, you know, open to the interpretation of the, of the viewer, the wearer, but, um, you know, in their own personal experiences. But I think what we try to do is just, you know, open up the dialogue, um, not only through the, the clothing itself, but our presentation of it. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, the sizing. I, like I think of our shoes right now, you know, and we carry our shoes, um, from size 35 to 44. Mm -hmm. A 44 is like a men's, what is a 44? Like a men's 12. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's, and I, you know, it's both men and women who are actually fitting a size 44. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, so, you know, we have that, um, gender fluid conversation as well, which, you know, falls into our feminist um, conversations. Um, and, you know, again, with that visual language, just addressing, addressing um, evolving um, ideas and evolving performances. Yeah, yeah, planting seeds, gently provoking, and then just leaving it to, as you wisely said, um, the experience of the audience, which I'm curious, for instance, regarding the I'm not your seductress um, season, I don't, whatever to call it, because each season you have some sort of new line to fit, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so when you were doing the I'm not a, a seductress line, how was that received? Because there's certainly an element of like, perhaps working from that internalized sexism and or kind of that take back energy, which is very common within various internalized oppressive experiences. How was it received? Was it mostly a liberating, well-received energy? Was there any I think so, yeah. I think, you know, people were like, when we had our um, appointments with buyers and stuff, um, 
I, people like, I, I, I recall that people thought it was funny, frankly. Maybe like some kind of comic relief, Absolutely, right? right. Something that they could relate to and have probably thought in their minds at one point, you know, in some experience they've had, you know, something very similar. So yeah. I think it's really relatable. And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes it's as simple as just saying something out loud that everyone's thinking, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that was sort of the case there. Um, it was just something that I was thinking about and I just decided to write it down. Great. You know. So, so you've really been met with very few critics over the years, would you say? Gosh, I feel like, mm, no, I'm sure I just, you know, I think I have a selective memory at this point. I think it's vital for Bravo. my, <laughs> for my, <laughs> for my sanity yeah. and my ability yeah. to keep going. Well, given that at times from our personal conversations, I recall you saying you don't necessarily carry ties from your dancing life into your design life. Do you think that that's one kernel that you may keep with you? Because I think in order to, to move forward with a performance or as dancer, we have so many small hiccups and we just have to be very present on Opportunity. Do you... Yeah, I mean, that is something that I definitely learned um, from dancing. You know, speaking of performance, you can't, you try not to let anyone know you had that hiccup, right? Mm -hmm. That blunder. And, and even, you just have to, you know, let, learn to let things slide, slide off your shoulders. You know, you're still in the mindset you don't want anyone to know about the hiccups and still in ballerina mode. In a way, I mean, actually, with the business itself, you know, I, um, unlike ballet, I feel like being honest has, you know, of where we are as the size of our company and what our uh, capabilities are, being honest about all of that actually works very well for us you know with our you know we don't have we often don't use like hi-fi um photography or video you know using like sort of lo-fi things mm -hmm. or like diy type things um you know being honest about that and you know just our capabilities works has worked quite well for us yeah. Yeah, so a bit more integrated than you could have been with just that French stage ballerina. Yeah. Yeah. Because people, you know, at the end of the day, people can relate to that. For sure, for sure. And that is an important energy, as kind of my clientele knows from the reframed artistry world, is that it's, I think it's a time in history we've been craving just being a little bit more authentic with one another, so. Yes, authenticity. Good for you. <laughs> um, well, speaking of authenticity and the world that we inhabit now, and we're still in the middle of a pandemic, we're both working moms with young girls <laughs> running around. Yes, running around me right now. Literally right around. <laughs> um, so how does that energy affect you as a designer? as an entrepreneur, what, what kind of vision do you hope for your daughters 
as potential creatives, as potential women, um, picking and choosing certain clothes. How has this inspired you? How has motherhood inspired you a bit to think more consciously as designer? Definitely um, more consciously, um, environmentally or sustainably speaking, you know, because we, we are all doing it for the future, you know, um, of the earth, of this planet, um, and for our children. But also, um, you know, I have really enjoyed watching. So Ella, my the older of the two, is eight. And I've really enjoyed watching her taste change and evolve. And that's been really fascinating. And, um, you know, as we get older, we are like, mm, more. I don't want to say more conservative. I don't want to use that word, but almost more boring, right? We, we, we dress in black, we dress in white, gray. I know so, our conversations right now are very different and some might perceive you know, as more boring compared to 1998 together. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. But then, you know, watching like the, the color, you know, Ella's like her signature color is pink. She's always liked pink and it sort of made me relearn to love pink. Mm-hmm. And that was a color that I used to love as a child. I gave up when I wanted to be cool. Mm-hmm. And I have learned, you know, through, you know, observing my daughter how to embrace pink and color in general again and to be more whimsical in my style and less serious or severe and you know and be able to play just play more with with and that's creativity right there you know sure is um in a recent interview i did we were talking about the u-curve of creativity where we start off really open and abstract it aligns with developmental progression then we get like really austere and literal and harsh and then we just like go back up to whimsical again and isn't it great to have daughters that can re-inspire that absolutely yes great teachers role models yes the other thing in in my question box that your point here makes me think of is just the idea of getting out of our own way regarding labels at times and being strong women does this mean we have to reject pink do we have to reject stereotypes? Right. Um, no, I mean, you know, that's something else I have learned to embrace. You know, it's funny when you talk about the different waves of feminism, you know, I, I don't want to sound old here, but we're almost, you know, second, third wave feminists <laughs> relearning things from like the fourth wave, you know? it's true right like girl power you know I remember like when we were at Bryn Mawr everyone was a woman and you were not a girl and and that you know but that's almost like embracing or enabling patriarchy right like you have to be strong you have to be you know more serious like a man but actually you know right Larry Clinton model (laughs) right but that's where we you know are relearning that you know there is profound value and importance and intellect 
in, you know, this female sphere, if you will, um, as opposed to this masculine sphere. It's like, um, you know, there, it's okay to be super feminine and you can achieve things if you, if that is your choice, you know, to do it this way. And, and, you know, we are still learning too, that it's not just feminine or masculine, right? We have to like relearn and move out of this binary uh, system, you know, and just, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, we're in the middle of this evolution, um, but we're learning. And um, so it's interesting having children because, you know, it, they're learning that at the same time we're learning that, but at a much younger age. Um, so it's, you know, it's good. Um, and it, they're almost better at it. They are. And I just so want to bottle up and preserve that energy for them and with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I recall we kind of were brainstorming a few years ago, inspired by some overlaps in climate consciousness work, um, mm. aligned for young girls and even like the feasibility of that, what it would mean. Do you ever see yourself expanding into that realm or is it just not a market? I would like to. I really would. You know, I sometimes I feel like the cobbler with no shoes because I, you know, I make all these things. I own few of them. Um, and I, everyone is like, you must make dresses and things for your daughters all the time. And I'm like, mm, I don't. I hardly do. And I wish I, I wish I could. Um, uh, but you know, I think it, I do, I would like to make children's clothing. There is just a whole different, um, level of creativity, level of freedom, really, um, you know, in doing that, you know, when we, when I design as much as, um, you know, I like to, I pride myself in, you know, being sort of whimsical. It's, uh, there is always like the, um, not burden, but, um, you know, layer um, of practicality that I have to consider mm -hmm. with every piece. Like who is, to, like I have to say, like it's, I have to ask myself, um, is someone going to buy this? And if so, where are they, where are they wearing it and how are they wearing it? You know, whereas with children's clothing, you could just create like, you know, an awesome princess dress or whatever, you know, whatever that is. And, um, a unicorn and, and they could wear it wherever. Right. Right. And it could be a unicorn in an otherwise bag situation. It wouldn't matter regarding the fit as long as unicorn yeah. is somehow tied into it. Yeah. Well, so that brings me to one of my you know, core questions for you. Those voices in your head that you're referencing in those questions there, like who's going to buy this? For whom am I designing now? 
how do you juggle that almost that more entrepreneurial business driven um thought process versus kind of the organic creative process and the reason why you got into fashion how do you juggle them and and how do you take care of that creative energy um well it's a constant juggle and the juggle is always different um depending on let's say how the previous season is what's going on in the economy mm -hmm. um how i'm personally feeling what i'm going through so it's it's it, it's always a different experience every season every with every new collection or creation um but I mean, it's the juggle has become almost second nature, just like, you know, being a mom and just doing various, being a working mother and, you know, balancing the home life with your, your child's, you know, school and this and activities and then your own work and whatever personal time you can fit in. So that it, it's, it feels like that with, um, with the design and business process at this point, it, it, they they feed each other um they feed each other now but i do you know at the end of the day i always go back or try to remind myself to go back and to make something that um is in line with the brand's philosophy the brand's aesthetic and where we started off from, where we started out, so that there is some kind of consistency, um, you know. But sometimes it's like I don't want to be consistent, aesthetically speaking, right? It's like um, sometimes, you know, just for example, you feel like really loose clothes because I'm not your seductress, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm not your seductress, but I'm going to wear this unapologetically these tight pants and this tight top because it makes me feel good you know but i'm you know still not asking for it <laughs> i am this and dot 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 and right. i am not this and dot 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 yeah yeah so, I, that. I don't know if i answered your question but it, there is a there is the juggle and it's constant mm-hmm it is a juggle and what I heard you saying inspirationally is it's kind of like I remember in college having the assignment of making a dance in a confined space and I made it in a bathtub and it was one of my favorite pieces like when you really have these forced parameters for instance through the business model I think oftentimes the immediate the reaction or instinct is to say oh, it's taken all the creativity out of it. And however, if you just feel like, okay, this is my scope right now. This is where I'm at right now. Right. How can I work within that scope to still be true to myself? And as you said, true to your, your brand as well. Mm -hmm. are, yeah. they, are they one in the same or is that a juggle too? the brand versus the internal creative spirit that really is, inspiration for this line well, the brand has become its own being 
And so I, where I used to work for myself, I now work for the brand. You know, I answer to the brand now. Because yeah. It has become its own entity. Um, okay. Do you need any other creative outlets right now? Maybe coloring with your daughters? <laughs> um, I have been on Pinterest a ton, reimagining this um, house that we just bought upstate, which, you know, we bought for a song, um, but which is, makes it more all the more fun. You know, we definitely, you know, weren't looking at um, a, a move-in, <laughs> move-in ready house, but also because it is, you know, we wanted to make it our own. Yeah own kitchen or own bathroom and redesign everything so I'm sort of doing that right now yeah nice outlet well it sounds like a project parallel to your roots into the creative process which is not throwing things out just because they've been used and re-envisioning how they can be repurposed and shine again so yeah well, my dear, I have one lingering question I like to ask of most guests, and I think that your your perspective on this will be quite quite invigorating. What do you think the future of fashion will look like? Any sort of matriarchal forces and what the H-E double hockey sticks does that look like? Um, <laughs> the future of fashion and the future of art what do you wish for it to look like you know i it's right now you know i feel like right now people in regards to fashion are like very casual and very loungy mm because we're you know home right now but I feel like once people are you know once this um once COVID you know clears up um and people start going out again I wonder if people will start dressing to the nines just because you know just for exercising you know creative expression um, that has been sort of pent up. And that much less taken for granted now that we've spent yeah. a large amount of time sheltered in place. Yeah. Been, you know, for the past few years, I feel like fashion has been playing it safe, you know, with the economy. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I hope that it, you know, becomes a source for exploration, self-exploration, um, and, and fun, frankly. You know, it's so serious fashion right now. Yeah, people, with yeah. a few exceptions, including your line, and, and rare in a, to experience in a ready-to-wear line, to have that kind of playfulness, you know, you've got feathers and loose asymmetrical lines and mismatched shoes adore that um yeah so if you could bottle it up and put into a sentence or two what do you think like 
a future image could look like for your line if you're not being so safe and you're making something really special? What do you think that's going to look like? Hmm. I always have the fantasy of making like unrealistic or like not practical sort of fantastic outfits, dresses, ball gowns. You know, it's not something that I have really explored because of that business side, the need to sell clothing that people are gonna buy and wear readily. Mm. You know? um, but I would love to, you know, turn the creative valve on to something that doesn't have to be about practicality and can really be about making imagining, um, you know, just something crazy and beautiful and different. Um, and then they can get disseminated into communities that aren't used to so much sparkle and permission for sparkle, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe even working, you know, with different communities to make that, you know, sculpture. You know, I, I feel like sometimes it goes back to sculpture. Yeah, yeah. And culturally, I mean, I think, for instance, in India, the, the color palette's so different regardless of mm -hmm. most um, communities or castes there still exists. But, um, well, I think that you're going to continue to sprinkle a lot of beauty and joy and spark where it's needed particularly for growing women and growing voices in the world. And um, it's an interesting spin because I often, working from a place of mindfulness and mindful art, just being things beautiful, framed just as they are in the mundane. So maybe it's an eye for that occasional magical moment to equally mindful. Yeah. Cool. You're a gem. Oh, thank well, thank you. you. <laughs> and um, thanks for spending some time with the Reframe Your Artistry World. It's my pleasure. All right. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thanks. Bye, Jess.